Welcome to Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero. Hosted by me, Kate Thompson. And me, Mark David Christensen. Yeah! Yeah! (laughs) We're back, baby, for another week of reading comics. Yeah! (laughs) Something we love to do, and it's, as I've said before... It's one of the greatest things to do in life. It's the greatest thing in life you can do. He says it all the time. And yeah, I, you know, the people are like, shut up that. about the comics, Dave. <laughs> Live a little. <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> I will descend into this world. Wow. Um, I am really excited about this short story that we're going to cover for this episode mainly because i think the art from patrick reynolds is really cool oh yeah and i think from um his previous work um two store main storylines and another short that we've covered in the past i'm really excited for the writer joshua Dysart to be back in the mix totally um i've become uh, even though i i think i've still only read those two things i'm a huge fan of his though oh yeah far. it's just like they were so good it's left such an impression hundred percent fan. Yeah. Instant fans. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. So but before we get to that, um, you know, we got a little segment for you, just something I wanted to talk about because I found it interesting. Um, we're going to take a little step back in time to Hellboy 2019. <laughs> um, only because with the recent release of another movie by the director, Neil Marshall, who is the director of Hellboy in 2019, um, he's in his press release has come out and talked about his experience with Hellboy. So I don't I just think that's a thing to interesting to talk about. It's. It's a different from the the constant um, emails I get. How uh, they tell you that Doug Jones um, and Ron Perlman constantly tell you that they they'd be ready to like as if it's news. They'd be ready to film a third Hellboy. It's like yeah, yeah. of course they fucking would. It would be a job, and they liked the job. And yeah, they like working with Del Toro. It's in not, a huge movie. Yeah. <laughs> Them saying that in an interview is not news. <laughs> Uh, but moving on from that rant, <laughs> um, so I take I took the these quotes. We're just gonna I'm just gonna read some quotes from Neil Marshall about his experience working on Hellboy, um, and, and these are coming from Den of Geek and Slash Film is where I pulled these um, quotes from from being him being interviewed. So I'm going to start with this first one. He says, and this is again Neil Marshall, the director, and speaking of Hellboy, he said that appealed to me, and obviously getting a chance to do a feature was a big thing. Um, Just to add that, oh, he continues, sorry, says Marshall, despite my reservations or whatever, I jumped at it because it was a chance to do a feature after nine years. I wanted to get back in the game, but I made the unwise decision because I should have based my choice purely on whether the script was any good. Unfortunately, the script was never any good. And there's only so much a director can do. Yikes. Yikes. So he's really like... I'm not saying I don't disagree with Neil Marshall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just didn't... I didn't think that the script translated the book, like, the feel of the book in a... in whatever, I guess in a... What's the word I'm looking for? Just in, like, an accurate... Not even, like, accurate, because it's, like, literally those things happen in the story, but the feel, I think, didn't translate completely. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, he goes on further (laughs) and he says, I've said it a few times before. You can't polish a turd. (laughs) 
Damn. <laughs> Even the best director in the world can't make a masterpiece out of a script that was substandard. This was a confused script from the start, combining different stories and sticking rigidly to the comics, which work fine as a graphic novels. But when you translate them to the screen, they are gape- there are gaping plot holes. So I think, it, again, I'm not disagreeing with him that I didn't like the Like, I also didn't like this script. But God, this yeah. seems, I mean... I don't know. I, I feel like he's... It didn't, like, totally flop. Like, the movie made $5 million. Like, I think it was, the budget was $50 million and the box office was $55.1 million, I'm saying. Yeah, there you the go. So it's like, it didn't totally... Like, it's not going to, like, ruin anyone's career or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and people... And a lot of people really like it. Yeah, there it. are people who liked it. We can't, we can't not forget that. Just because we yeah. are two people that didn't like it... It doesn't mean there's not others that did. So I think he's like the director. Yeah, like the director. But there's a little bit of like, and this is just me thinking like, I'm I, I can totally understand because I think directing any large, any large artistic like endeavor which involves a lot of people, yeah, is hard. So I can't. I gotta hand it to you. It's hard. You probably were up against some shit that you didn't want to be up against. Yeah. But there's a part of me is like, why throw everything else under the bus rather than sort of it's almost his language is sort of removing his responsibility with the with what he didn't. Because I'm, like, I'm not saying that you aren't up against walls, but there's directors that say that. But then they still go for and they like we try to I tried my best within those those limitations or those that those issues or challenges this sounds yeah. like hey man i'm just throwing you all under the bus because fuck this i couldn't have i i i not i and no one else could have made it okay <laughs> it's kind of shitty i mean so again, again i just rough. i don't disagree with him what'd you say i guess i because also has it looks like he really hasn't directed a movie since like 2010 i'm looking at his imdb but he's got tons of of television yeah television fucking i mean it's become the sort of the the high quality standard of in television he's done game of thrones i'm i'm pretty sure people have actually definitely praised or it's been up for nominations his episodes yeah like in emmys and shit i don't know but like yeah it's not like you i mean i get that you'd want to make a feature and it would be cool and features are definitely different beasts but it's not like you were like out of work for nine years. Right, right, right. And de- you know what I mean? Like he could have said no. Right. Yeah. And let's let, let me continue with his further quotes. Sure, yeah. Sort of play Sorry. into what you just said, though. No, they're perfect. <laughs> you sort of set it up. Like he says, ultimately, ultimately, it came across that they brought me in so they could tell me what to do. He says they didn't really want to make a horror version of it at all. Because I was the most experienced horror person involved in the entire production, and I wasn't allowed to touch the script. I wasn't allowed to bring any horror essence to it, so it just ended up as a disaster, really. It was just a mess and deeply unpleasant experience. That's the price that I paid Bummer. for making the wrong choice, or making it for the wrong reasons specifically. On Hellboy, I had, a lot, I had lots of money and no creative input. So you could have said no, as you just said. But here's the thing. I don't know if I buy 100% that you had no creative input. I guess he's re- when he says they, he's referring to the producers. Yeah. To like the- I, there's been stories online about like how the producers sort of like sit, made bigger choices, told him he couldn't do things. It can, that is 
that's not like an uncommon thing in the world of like producers yeah. and directors. Sometimes, sometimes they're very collaborative and they get on board. Sometimes you have people that just really like he's saying, I'm not saying he's wrong. Um, like they maybe just hired you to do what they wanted. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. you made the descendant. We'd like you to make this Hellboy like that. I'll be honest. I know he says it's not horror, but I feel like the movie does deviate from horror, but it's like, it still feels like it lived in that one. It was living in that genre of more horror than like Del Toro's, right? Del Toro's more fantasy. Definitely more than Del Toro's. I mean, Del Toro's is like, he wanted to make a universal monster movie and that's what he kind of, he, you know, he did that as much as he possibly could with these characters. I think. Yeah, totally. And then, yeah, for this movie, it's a muddled thing. I'm looking at the IMDb too. There's like a dozen, there's more than like, there's like 20 fucking producers on this thing. I don't know how many is like common for a feature actually now that I'm like looking at that but there's like yeah there's like a fucking 20 people on this list yeah I mean and that could be the issue who knows how that classic saying you know too many cooks in the kitchen right everybody wants a certain different thing and then if and if you're not willing to let it go through one or two final says it can get lost yeah but okay I'm going to come back to this. I think it's really harsh to say I had lots of money and no creative input because I'm not saying his, I'm not saying he, he wasn't like limited on his input, but it's like, you were still shooting the fucking movie. You were still like, there's no way that I believe that every, no, no decision you ever made. I feel like you'd walk. If you were like, I can't make any decisions here. I feel like a director would be like, I'm out like an Edgar Wright who was like Ant-Man. He was like, they don't, I can't do what the Marvel wants. I want to do my thing. I got to walk. Again, yeah. they're all all circumstances are different. You know what I mean? There, there's the classic solo story we've heard about of how fucking they took that away from the two guys that did um, the Lego movie. I can't think of their names right now. But like... Oh, yeah. But I'm like, creative differences are normal. But to say that you had no creative input, I'm like, but then how did the movie get fucking shot? Because you had to be there to make a decision. I'm just trying to I'm trying to be devil's advocate for both sides and be like, I think you both fucked up and were really like there was no collaboration or compromise for anybody. Producers were probably worse. Don't get me wrong. Maybe I'm 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 just trying to read into this because it just sounds like if you're not a producer on shit, then you really you are limited to a degree. And there are so many producers on that movie, like even like as you're saying, like Edgar Wright, I'm just looking up like on Baby Driver, there's maybe there's maybe like ten producers there's like half as many people with their hands on this movie creatively as there were on hellboy i wonder if that's just because it's like an existing property that like maybe people at dark horse had to be involved and people at like there's probably like a lot of different companies involved in making a comic book movie who knew who knows who who owned the movie rights at that time too i would love to learn about this boring shit like i i wish like there were you know dvd extras that weren't just like like, don't get me wrong, I love bloopers and shit, but I want to, like... Yeah. But I guess it's a, like that's the kind of stuff they can't talk about because it's, like, there are disagreements with that kind of shit. And yeah, you know, I agree. Nobody wants to say anything because it'll, like, step on toes or something. Although, he seems to not give a at fuck anymore at this point. At this point, I think he is, yeah. But that's what's sad is it yeah. comes out like this where it's, like, I'm just going to throw somebody on the bus when I'm, like... Uh, I'm, like, I do think that, like, every movie comes with challenges. I don't think any like any artistic endeavor. So to throw everybody, anybody under the bus and not sort of take your own 
I mean, I guess he's taking at least he's taking some responsibility and saying he chose it for the wrong reasons. So I got to give him that because right. I think we're that's relatable. Which is what he wanted a bigger pool or something like that, like I, just for the money. Or <laughs> I something? mean, why like, not? I mean, uh, yeah, uh, I get it. But I mean, and also it's like if that's what you learn from this, I guess okay. But it's like you made a lot of you knew this. I sort of feel like you knew going in. Like you've made movies yeah. before this. This isn't like this isn't like it's not a fucking masterpiece. But like, I, I wonder if it's like if it if it's rating or something is like stopping him from getting other work like why talk shit on it now because it made you money and yeah. it's like you know i'm uh, yeah. so, uh, some fans received it well i, I agree and that's the thing it's hard. here's the thing is that i've probably said this maybe too many times to people but there's a great book called making movies by Sidney lumet uh if you don't know who Sidney lumet is he's the director of 12 angry men uh the verdict I'm trying to think of other. His last movie was um, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Um, there's so many more in there. Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, a fucking phenomenal director of all time. But he does in this book the things that stood out to me and why I love the book so much, and is that he takes ownership even as the director, even on the movies that he failed, like they were yeah. flops. He doesn't disparage like anything. He just says we fucking tried and we didn't yeah. work. I'm not saying that Neil Marshall did not have a bad experience on Hellboy. For all we know, it's horrible. But I feel like you showed up every day and tried to do the best, right? Because if you did, there's a part of me that's like sad if you're saying that you just... This last quote is sort of going to speak to it. This last quote says, With Hellboy, I was kind of lured by the money and possibility of having the freedom to make a good movie. But I'd chosen to do it for all the wrong reasons. There's actually something Frank Darabont said to me. It all comes down to the scripts. If the script sucks, don't do it. I made this mistake of doing something that sucked. To me, it's like, yeah, but you still showed up. No one shows yeah. up and just says, well, this... I mean, I think any attitude, if you show up and go, this sucks, I'm just going to phone it in... You are at fault as much as anybody fucking else. But who knows, like what, love, what, like where the script was at when he got True. it. Like he might have gotten it, and they're like, "Oh, because it looks like it went through a lot of iterations." Um, I think Mignola was actually writing yeah. on it at one point. Yeah, it looks like Mignola and Christopher Golden. I'm seeing right. on like Wikipedia, two people who don't write movies by the way like you know they write books and comic yeah. books <laughs> which is like uh and then i guess the main credit is given to this guy andrew cosby who wrote uh like some tv like yeah eureka not a lot so you have like a really like a relatively green writer by the look of it i guess he did like yeah he did a show called haunted back in like 2002 mm -hmm. and then a bunch of episodes of eureka so not like the most for sure you know i i don't know it's like they didn't have to, they didn't have a movie writer on this shit right or they just weren't the producers were not for whatever we're behind the scenes it sounds like no one wanted to like i don't know what it is but i just won't buy into just like you're off the hook. You still, you have, like, if it was that, yeah, if it's as I mean, bad as it is, take your it. fucking name off of it. <laughs> yeah. I'm being yeah. so cruel. Yeah. Give the money back if it's, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Like, I just feel like, like you said, it's like, why talk shit rather than just take the, like, hey, you know, it, I, I thought I could make it. I thought I could make something great and I wanted the money. I guess if money. you're that pissed about it too, though, like, it, like, 
I don't know. I really am on like both sides. Like I'm both sides too. I feel bad for like if you. I mean, but he's obviously fucking successful at this shit. He's like making a ton of money in this industry. So maybe just like chill out and just be like, okay, I made kind of a stinker. It still made money. Who gives a shit? Let's like move on and make something else. Which he did now. Finally, the reckoning. I haven't. I don't know anything about it. I just. It makes me think of like I was. uh, I was a PA for this TV show for CBS that got canceled in the middle of its first season. And one of the writers, like a really good writer, like one of the um, producer writers, one of the higher up writers wrote this episode and it was a cool, interesting episode. And then they cast this woman in the part that was like kind of integral to the episode being good. And the actress was really, really bad. And I just remember the writer watching that episode after they had shot it. Like, she got to, like, go be on set and stuff like that as well. But, like, they came back and, like, all the editing was done back in L.A. Mm-hmm. And she, she, the writer, was watching her episode with this bad actor performing it. And it was so much worse oh, because, no. just because the actor was so bad. And I was like, man, this is really just, like, out of your control at certain steps. It's like, like you're saying, because it's such a big collaborative thing. Like, this writer had nothing to do with casting this woman. Mm-hmm had really very little to do with directing the episode. Yeah. Like she was there, but it's like more as like consulting her about like changing like little lines and stuff like that. And it's just like, bummer, bummer. You just, that's the episode you wrote. And then it just sucks. Because, yeah. And, because of one bad actor or something, yeah. you know, I don't and know. It could be one bad thing. And sometimes things line up. Yeah. And then sometimes. But as the director, you have a lot more say. Le- like I-, I would think. I would uh, think. Again, I'm not. Circumstances can change. I'm not a hundred percent against yeah. Neil Marshall. Not like he clearly did not enjoy his time doing this. But yeah, it's very. I think you can see that watching the movie. It's just disjointed for me. It doesn't. Nothing feels cohesive and good. Like it does. It doesn't feel like a good fun movie that people had fun. A hundred percent. And I think that's what it comes down you know. to. It. I think you're right. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah. It's a my only last thought on that is like, I just want, I would, I just want to see, I'm not saying he shouldn't be chipper or not be honest about his experience. Yeah. But the idea that you showed up every day thinking it sucked, it's like, then of course this is the outcome. Cause I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I'd be like, I'm lucky to fucking be here. Let's try to make the best out of this. I guess that's the thing. Maybe he's just been working for longer and is like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But you know what, Neil Marshall? I would be grateful for any, like, crumb of job in this <laughs> industry. Too. So I'm like, I think that's it. It's like, how can you not be a little resentful of somebody who's successful and has worked in all, has worked on all these prestigious shows and, like, has had a movie that a lot of people, like, people consider The Descent gr- to be a great horror yeah. movie. They love I mean, it. I'm a fan. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, so it does feel like, pretty sour to hear a director of that caliber like just complaining and kind of like throwing off all the blame on your movie sucking to the yeah to the writer that being said the writer never wrote a fucking movie in his life and you know at least not that he's credited for and and then you have two i love mignola but he's not a screenwriter yeah i agree you know and you do and you truly do have to adapt like when you go from medium to medium you have to do it's different it's not you can't totally. just lift. It's not like you can't get something that's similar, but if you just lift, you end up with... I think that's evident when you watch this yeah. movie. It's like, yeah, you guys were pretty faithful to 
parts of these stories, with the exception of what I think is one of the most important things, the character of Hellboy, like his character, I think it deviates so much from the comic character. Yeah. And that's um, writing. That's that's Harbor. That's, and that's, that's so many people. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. not a there's there's several moments where anybody could have been like, hey, this seems like he's sort of a dish. <laughs> yeah. And Professor Broom, like, why is Professor Broom such an asshole? Characters. <laughs> I know he's such a dick in that movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a bummer to me. It is. I guess it's still a bummer to hear you know Neil Marshall saying shit like yeah. Yeah, and yeah. sometimes you just wish to be like, keep it to yourself. Sometimes too. Yeah, maybe just write it in your journal. <laughs> Tell your closest friends. <laughs> Yeah. Or collaborators. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, that is enough for this uh, episode to talk about <laughs> Hellboy 2019. I think it's time to move on. We love talking shit on this movie. I, swear I know. God. It's it's so funny. funny. It's like, and I just know down the line we're going to have to revisit it like one, at least one more time. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure I'll yeah. watch it again. And we have the art books. I almost bought the steel book because the art was so cool. <laughs> I was like, oh, Mignola did this like cool version of uh. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but very cool art from him. Hell yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's leave that behind us and move on to this short story. And what shall I find there? I'll hand it over to you, Kate, to intro it and walk us through this. Yeah. Um, and what shall I find there was written by Mike Mignola and Joshua Dicer, illustrated by Patrick Reynolds, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Clem Robbins, edited by Scott Alley. Uh, boot to him and originally uh -huh. published in the MySpace Dark Horse Presents number 23, which is always these. funny to read. Yeah. <laughs> it's MySpace. so funny to read that. <laughs> and that's in June 2009. I didn't realize like MySpace was still going so strong in 09, I guess. But well, I didn't get on Facebook until I moved to L.A. Like I was very much a person that was like, I don't need to get I on. I definitely put it off for a long life. time, but I, I know, dude, such a fucking time sink. Yeah, it's weird. But yeah, as part of my space, Dark Horse Presents. So I wonder then if it was published, physically published, right? Like as a physical comic book, right? It's not it like was, just digitally published. I think it was just digital. From what I'm, I believe, it's that is digitally. And then when they did the collection, I think the heart, the paperback. Oh, they like put it all together like that. Then it was collected. And then, of course, I'm reading it from uh, the Omnibus. Yeah, I'm um, reading it from the BPRD 1946 to 1948. Yeah, I read. I have the physical there. version and then the digital as well. So cool. yeah, it's really cool. Basically, it's like broom right out of school, going to travel, and should we just like start talking about the comic right now? Yeah, just go for just it. Summarizing I mean, it, it's very it's, short. It's very short, so we can just yeah, let's just do a summary of it. Cool. Like we can yeah, it's very short. It's not like uh. Yeah, you get it. Yeah. <laughs> you get it, folks. So, okay, so it. he's walking around in uh, southwest France. Uh, he just, uh, you know, wanted to take some time to tour Europe or whatever after school. He goes to this, um, to this church. Uh, he meets with the priest there. He's like, oh, thanks for, you know, showing me around this church. This is great. He looks inside this church. It's kind of dilapidated. It looks like... Pretty run well, some down. Some of the pews are like Yeah, the broken. pews are kind of broken on the one side. There are like little space, like torches, but they're not lit. So it's very dark and you kind of see the like twilight outside of like the sun going down. And the priest like lights one of the torches 
and that's kind of the only source of light. Broom is kind of like pushing to be alone in the church. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like, thanks. Okay, so I'm I'm pretty tired, and you know I. I'll settle down for the night here. Um, the priest <laughs> yeah. is like, are you sure you don't want to like sleep in a bed? Like that would be more comfortable. He's like, no, no, no. So by the way, says, it's a monk, not a priest. Just oh, excuse to clarify. Me. Thank you. Yeah. He said, so yeah, he says, uh, the old monk bid me bonne nuit and left me alone. So now <laughs> he's like, and then he gets right to like, you see him like running almost. He's like jogging now with the, Super excited to be alone and be like poking around the church by himself because he had been told about a painting that was here by his uncle like years and years ago. So he's kind of searching around for that. And he finds the area like where his uncle described the painting would be and sort of just like talking about how it was like gossip that this painting existed. Medieval priests some 100 years ago too ter- or excuse me, 700 years ago? Yeah. Too terrified and ignorant to destroy the ghastly thing, hiding it instead. So it's like this horrible painting hidden in this church. Broom's like s- cracking open fucking floorboards and smashing into the stone walls and stuff like that. And he's talking about kind of like his like inner monologue like I didn't know either even to like whether to believe my uncle or not. He does find the painting and then he celebrates. He like pulls out some wine and it's just like happy looking at the painting and the torchlight. I was here more for the thrill, the risk, the experience uh, to cross one flight of, flight of fancy off a list of many. And yet here it was before me. The ghastly thing was a painting called um, Pere Pierre Le Big. Yeah. Uh, that sounded great to me. I wasn't going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up. It means it just means Father Pierre the Stutterer. Oh. So I thought that was cool. Clergy portraits were rare for the period, speaking to the ego of its subject. So it's like this odd painting. It has this weird history. Like, why would this priest get his portrait done in the first place? And then it also has this uh, weird fucking figure looming over him. I love. Um, Yeah. We'll we'll talk about this more, but I love the blue. Yeah. The blue of the creature is really cool. I'm a big fan of that choice. When the piece was done, the artist, considerably less sane than when he started it, claimed the monster had been with the priest throughout the sitting. He and Father Pierre were then promptly murdered by Pierre's congregation. Ooh. <laughs> so people did not like this painting. They were <laughs> no. they were against it. And then kind of it's just like the painting was vanished away by the priests. You know, it was like hidden here. Yeah, I and like how he says that they were like, too frightened to destroy it so they just yeah. hit it they think that yeah. would solve the problem <laughs> yeah and then people are like saying oh it doesn't even exist like it's you know it's nothing but then broom's like but yeah here it is and then i like this kind of way that they slowly make it so that the the darkness like draws in it like yeah. closes in on broom it's really a nice page sitting there staring at the painting while well, it frightened me and his uh and this mounting fear brought a weight to the surrounding shadows and a crawl to my skin and so yeah he was like and he had drank like half this wine and he's just like am i freaking myself out but then <laughs> he like smells this creature and then like his legs get weak and this blue being emerges from the darkness uh, exactly like the fucking painting and love it reaches out this hand towards him mother of god and then he like drops down the torch onto the painting to burn it which I, I liked this part too I knew that in burning the painting I'd see the dawn though it's not the sort of knowledge they equip you with at Oxford 
no, in these things, I'm a self-educated man. So he had like this <laughs> instinct to be like, oh, this thing's powers drawn from this object. Let me destroy the object with fire and probably that will destroy this creature. And it did. Yeah, it did. I mean, we never see the full figure other than the painting and, uh, and then engulfed in flames. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's He's only lit up when he's, yeah, completely covered in flame. It's really cool. I love this like sort of like dry brushy effect for the fire also like i think it's just a great um like collaboration between the illustrator patrick reynolds and dave stewart i don't know dave stewart just like always brings the heat he's like always making it the coolest looking thing yeah he's so good he's so good what i love specifically just quickly chime in on that dave stewart and i want to know if this is in the script or not Mm-hmm. But it, his colors allow us to follow the time of day throughout this entire storyline, which is oh, yeah. great because you arrive and it's sort of like you said, twilight, that magic hour. Yeah. And it's all that's all that's not and nobody mentions the time. Mm-hmm. There's not like this like verbal. It's just visual. The only thing that you could say like, oh, Patrick Reynolds gives you these cues are the long shadows of the graves, yes. which I thought was cool. And just like dramatic dark shadows against like the building itself you have like a really strong shadow yeah and i love that because then when the demon shows up before he it gets dark as you already pointed out that great coloring of the darkness surrounding broom we get that one cool panel which is the outside exterior again and it's mainly just to communicate the sun is officially dropping yeah. And I they do it so subtly, just the light. It's like we're there just for the last moments of the, the, the it disappearing under the horizon. And that's when you realize, oh, that thing fucking showed up as soon as the light was gone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also a great I do love that outside shot too, because it gives you this great shot of like this great composition of the outside of the church, almost making it look like a haunted house or something. You have the like silhouetted window that's like lit up. But the building itself is almost completely black. Like you have some lighter parts just to like add texture to the roof and to the stone and stuff like that. But and then that coupled with the monologue, like Broom's monologue about like few believing the painting existed. It's like a this is like the town's view of the church. And this Mm -hmm. is as much as the town wants to explore is like maybe they'll look at the church from the outside, but they're not going in. I love that. It's like, yeah, I think it's just does so much like that one panel does so much work right on that's perfect i love in a way that's like smooth and like you wouldn't think about it real like consciously unless you were the one drawing it i'm sure but that's great insight okay i love that it's It's totally cool man like these guys this team is so good yeah i I, a great team but just to like to infuse that perspective just makes it i think is why that it it allows a short to stand out as something like fully developed yeah you know what i mean rather than just like oh okay that was fun right 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 (laughs) and it gives you so much you know i i i think i love i love getting a little sense of broom's character too i think like after the del toro movies people really liked that depiction of broom and you don't really get a lot of Broom's backstory in the comics until these come out. Yeah. So it's really nice to see him as like this um, risk taking young guy who's just like willing to go by himself to this fucking haunted place just to check it out on a rumor, you know, like on this whim. 
Yeah, I love that too, because from what we get at the end, what he says is, I was no longer afraid, you see. In fact, I don't think I've felt such fear since. This is after the demon is burned, then the final panel of him walking away. Yeah. It says, I suppose nothing ever compares to the first time. I love that this is in a sense of an origin for him, not in the traditional sense of like, and then I became broom. It's just we're getting to see him really confirm his his curiosities that these things exist in the world. And for the it sounds like to me we're like we're experiencing with him the first time he actually confirmed like, oh, they do exist. Yeah. And it doesn't and what we get to see from it is he was already curious, but like we get to see him face his fear of that existence, but it doesn't scare him off. We get we have an understanding that this just fueled his curiosity further, and we know that. And if it, we've talked about how these backstories sort of play into his, give it almost like a further. In the last one we had, where he, he we shot we saw his partner who eventually will die, and yeah. there's a little of a sadness to that because it was from his point of view. Yeah. But what's interesting is if I bookmark this first story of his with this demon and then I know his trajectory at the end of at the beginning of Seed of Destruction, it's like your curiosity will eventually fucking kill you. It's a great thing that we admire about you, but it is your demise. (laughs) And that would be like why he would be warning Hellboy so much not to be so brash. I mean, Hellboy obviously is less vulnerable than Broom (laughs) is this like little bookish human i mean who can still like hold his own and is like brave in the face of all of this like scary shit obviously he like he like takes action and like goes with his gut like it's interesting to see qualities that translate to hellboy and like you think about their relationship even though obviously they're not in the story together here i i agree and i think I, I don't want to disparage the Del Toro movies, but and I think everybody loves that iteration because of John Hurt. I think John Hurt is perfect oh, yeah, casting. Yeah. The sad thing about the casting is just this, is that because John Hurt was at a very much older age, mm-hmm. that you couldn't really show off his this aspect of him that we finally get in the comics, which is he yeah. is... He's not just a scholar and like sort of like father time for Hellboy, right? Right. He actually got out there and did it himself, which yeah. is something I love about Broom is that he's and that's something we miss too that we never get in the any iteration. Really, maybe in the newest 2019, not to bring it up again, but his was, you know, I don't want that version because he's an asshole for this. <laughs> but in this, what's interesting is that we're seeing him out there, even though he's wearing a suit, I love that he wears a suit, but he's still fucking in the, the thick just of like it. He's like a dapper Englishman. And yeah. The, yeah. But then walking around his last adventure before he passes in the, in our timeline, he was an old man out fucking trugging around in the fucking. Yeah. Whoop, in the cold. In Antarctic. Yeah. Or Arctic. Yeah. It was. And I think that's brilliant. And unfortunately in the movie version, I love his heart, but we never really got that aspect from him. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We never got to yeah. see that, like, even though he's an older man, he's still, like, spry enough and his curiosity sort of fuels him to keep going. But, I mean, really, it's good that we don't see that because you can't fit all that shit into a movie. 100% you know? right. Like, you are yeah. 100% right. Yeah. That's why it's, but, you know, it's great to read the comics and to enjoy them in this form. Because comics are fucking art in their own, right? I think people just, like, obviously movies are the biggest fucking art form of this century. Like, it's... There's nothing that compares to how movies affect people in this. Like, 
That's it. It's like the art form of our time. But comics are are great. Like they they do everything cool that like movies do too. Like they have like infinite budgets and like still use like a lot of still require you to use a lot of your imagination and require the reader to like I mean, it's up to the writer and the artist to like set a pace, but you still read it at your pace and you right. still I think the reader still puts a lot of themselves into it as opposed to like having nothing to like we have nothing to say about how a movie is paced obviously it's just like you just watch it as it appears on the screen so it's like comics are still superior in certain ways to tell certain stories i think i I don't know i I think every medium is like yeah like that's why adaptation i think is the most trickiest thing from yeah whatever medium like i'm not a huge even when they do like adaptations from us from something that was originated on the screen to comic it's yeah. always tricky. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Like, cause For I think sure. you're right. Like there are things that comic books do that movies don't do just cause it's a different medium. And I will, mm-hmm. but I mean, they're two things. I love them both. So it's hard to me. Like, well, I'm only want this and the only, this one's right. perfect. I'm like, yeah, sometimes either like both we, can be perfect. Both can be perfect way. and both can yeah. be flawed. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I think you're 100% right, Kate. And then in the, we were kind of talking about this before recording, but there's, in the wiki, it says, resemblance. Uh, The story bears a great many similarities to M.R. James' ghost story, Canon Alberic's scrapbook. And the location in that storyline is mentioned at the beginning of this story as well. Yeah, the, it's like this other, the foot of the Andes Mountains or something like that. Yeah. I read this because it's on I love that you read it. What'd you tell me about it? I looked it it up. Spoil it. Yeah. Canon Albrecht's scrapbook. It was great. It was like, it's like the language is a little more heightened than a contemporary book, of course, because it was, uh, I mean, when was it written? 1894. So it took like a second to get used to it. I just haven't read a book like from that time period in a while, but it was great. Like it was really kind of spooky it was like a similar thing like an englishman going to france he was like with friends but their friends like went off and did their own thing he was like i want to check out this church and see if there's any he was just like snooping around to see if there was any like cool shit he could like <laughs> take back to england basically i love it and um he wanted to thieve a church okay yeah oh yeah he wanted to like it's you know it's not like steal it necessarily but like yeah basically he was like what can i give like not a lot of money to somebody around here for something really good and there's like nothing really left it's like picked through but there's a priest there who's like i have something pretty interesting come to my house and check it out and it's like uh, I guess he's not a priest. He's like, because he has a daughter in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's like uh, someone who was like living in this town. And he's like, I have something interesting related to the this church if you want. And he takes him back to his house with him and his daughter. And they're like, take this book. It's a cool book, right? And he like opens up the book and it's like a scrapbook, uh, you know, like this manuscript that one of the former priests had put together from clippings from their old library. So it's like all this like madman's like book that he like put together. and so he takes it and immediately feels really bad and like there's you know there's like a demon that comes out of it and as he like goes he like goes back to his room like where he's sleeping that night and it appears to him like the hand appears and he's terrified of it and screams and then people run in and then it just yeah it's like uh it's uh i forget how they if they like kill it now sorry i read it like last week so it's okay trying to remember exactly what happens at the end 
But it's just like a suspenseful story, like where you're waiting for something bad to happen once he buys this. And when the guy who sells it gets rid of it, he's like, woo! <laughs> so, you know, it, like that guy's like, oh, yeah. He's like, this shit's been fucking me up. I saw that thing all the time. And when I didn't see it, I felt it like that kind of like it's like a cool story about that feeling of creepiness that you yeah. get like. When you turn off your hallway light and you're like, I got to run into my bedroom because it's dark in here. Yes, I know that feeling. feeling. I know that feeling. Yeah. And it's it's very like, uh, love it or think it's okay. Um, uh, It Follows. (laughs) Don't you hate it though? No, but I was was just referencing to It Follows, that movie. I love It Follows. Yeah, I have issues with it, but I think it it looks cool and there's moments I I like. I thought it was cool. I liked it. Yeah, I I, I, have my... my opinions we don't need other than like, I just think they missed an opportunity. You, cannot, you don't have to love it just because I, I love it. it. I don't it's love totally it. fair. They missed an opportunity I thought that would have been way Which cooler. what? what uh, what's the opportunity? Okay, so <laughs> let's go on a rant. Sorry, I'm Classic sorry, I'm sorry. Um, it falls, <laughs> We're pretty much done the comic. I think they don't know their rules very well. I think they, they didn't okay. set the rules well enough. That's one big complaint. But the other one is I think they had something really fun to play with which was they set up that it was an STD, right? Right. There's a moment in the movie where I got really excited. It's about the halfway point after the um, the girl the girl in the hospital has sex with the cool kid. Yeah. And I'm like, and they cut from them like being intimate to him flirting with other girls. And I yeah. was like, holy shit. This movie's going to fucking amp up and it's going to be like, it's going to be a thing that spreads through the community, which I was so excited for. I was like, yes. He's just trying to pass it on, though, right? He's, like, just trying to get rid but of it. But that's exciting to me. It's like... Yeah. It's like if he it gets out into the community, then it's like it just becomes a... It, 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 oh, it's, a thing that everybody sees. Yes, mean, eventually, like, and they just keep... For it, the whole town to be like, something is coming That to me, me was like, yeah, like, it, like if a small community was that's affected sequel, by an dude. actual STD, an outbreak. Yeah. That is interesting to me. But as soon as that happened, I'm like, I got excited. But then it was just like, oh, nope. It just came and got him and killed him. And I think it's just a different movie. I think it's like more of an intimate yeah, kind of I thing. Yeah, I just, it just, for me, they they missed, they missed an opportunity for me. I think the real fun of that movie is like looking at the whole thing like it's a fucking I spy book waiting for <laughs> the person in white. Co- like that's what it made. I really liked looking at the entire screen. When the whole time, like, you always have this sense of, like, your eye is reading the whole screen looking for this thing walking towards you. I haven't seen it in a couple of years now, so I'm trying to even remember, like, all the specifics of it. Yeah, they have some cool That's what what I liked about it, yeah. Totally. I thought it was was cool. Have you seen Freaky with, like, Vince Yeah, I just saw your post about it. Um, Oh. (laughs) um, Well, I think I gave it, you gave it two stars. I think I gave it three. Um, Yeah. I, I I would agree I think with two you. Two is generous. I think two is very generous. I like that director just because I, I like the actors too. Like I I thought. Well, I like the two leads anyway. I thought. But there's the thing, and I think you hit on this on your small comment about unfunny hot girl. Um, and there's the <laughs> hot chicks. Hot chicks have some respect. Sorry, uh, my my apologies <laughs> to Rob Schneider. Well, here's my thing. Um, is the what, hot chick? What really made me upset was that. So they, the writing, the girl starts out as shy, so she's uh-huh. just bland. She's bland yeah. to begin with. Dude, it was written then, badly. Yes. It was so bad. But then when she switches, Vince Vaughn then gets to become like a weird, fun character that that character, like, she, he turns into like a cliche, broad teenager, which... Our main character never showed that at all. And then that actress then 
got to be only got to be like a brooding killer. And I was like, that girl got that main actress got no fun. Got none yeah. of the fun. <laughs> because the because the killer was too generic. Yes. There wasn't like he wasn't like any cause I got the sense when I watched that movie, I was like, this writer or or I think it was like two guys that wrote it. I was like, these guys don't give a fuck about horror movies. Like they don't like horror movies and they're just making this because I don't know. It's a it fun it felt like some it, I mean, I guess so. Well, he made the, the other hot movie chick. I liked. The hot chick did it ten times better, and I'm dead serious when I say that. A lot of things about the hot chick don't hold up, but I think that the hot chick actually had a lot of like heart and specificity, and I think that the friends actually felt like they were friends with like Rob Schneider. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy for me to say that. that the hot I chick love is. It. I don't think it's a good crazy. version of this movie. It's like a less violent version of it. And then the kills are kind of all over the place. You have like two super violent kills, but then the rest is like not really. And she beats the fuck out of her friends in Vince Vaughn's body. Yeah. But it, to a degree where you're like, I think they wanted this to be funny, but like, no, it I fell don't short. Know. It fell short on the funny. It, the, the, just the dialogue was crazy to me. I was like, this doesn't feel like something that teenagers would say. And that's where the fun is, right? Like that's where the fun for that kind of like switcheroo premise is. Like you want it to be, you want to respect teenagers and write something that they would really say and let them be as smart as they would be. Like, I think teenagers are smart and I don't think this movie treated them smart. And I I don't think that it, I don't think that they had any respect for horror movies and it just felt so like boring and by this like weird book that they had, you know, they were like, this is how, you know, this is a formula for horror movies and we'll just fill in the blank, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Just fill that in. And it, in a way that was like, I don't know. I just wish it was better. I wanted it to be better. You know, yeah. I, I'm not a huge Vince Vaughn fan, but I thought he was doing a good job. I was like, well, he's being, and then when the kiss, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but really just go watch the hot chick instead. Yeah, I get it. Well, here's the thing is I think they fell short, but I also think, I mean, if I'm correct, that was written by two men. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing is I felt like, like this is me being a little adding to your, but being a little, maybe a little even harsher is that men do this a lot. And I think it's because I think it's cool right now. And I'm going to say cool because I agree with it. But I think women, they need to be brought in on these projects. That movie decided to be like the cool thing is watching women get the like the like watch a woman get the upper hand on a bad guy. That's why those jocks get killed is because it's like we got to give them what they want. Whereas but but there's none of like the actual like relatability of like being a woman. Which I can't can't speak to dealing with those people. Do you know what I mean? Like so that then it feels earned. Yeah, I think I think I th- I think it's not fun. Like it doesn't. It's it's not like it. It didn't feel fun. Like they like started to go into stuff where it was like she gets kind of beat up when she tries to kill the teacher because she's much smaller. Like he or he, he in that body. Like there's uh, like also just like. Pick one or the other. I think, like, pick whether this movie is funny with, like... The tone was kind of all over for me. Like, the yeah. violence was there, but it was only there in, like, little parts. And then... Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm not I disagreeing just, with you. I think you're 100% yeah. right. That was my biggest complaint is, like, why didn't they have more fun with the idea of this killer 
in a different body having issues with what he would normally do. Because <laughs> I was like, that's yeah. a lot of fun, but you did it. Yeah. You only winked at it slightly when she killed the teacher, not even fully. It would have yeah. been very funny for the like the friends to be like, we you're 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 we know you. We know your like your capabilities. <laughs> Cause she wasn't an athlete in school, right? <laughs> no, it's yeah. like, I mean she's like the she's like the mascot, which is like how many nerds are the mascot? Like, I don't know. In a, I feel like in I don't mo- think so. They're usually cheerleaders. It's in movies. In movies, it's like it just felt like they were just it just felt lazy and like not formulaic. respectful of the characters. Yeah. Formulaic. Yeah. Well, formula, formulaic is not, I don't want to use that as a dirty word because I think there's movies that follow formula but then know how to play within the like, boundaries. Have you, ever, have you seen Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2? I haven't. Sorry. It's good. It's it, But it's like a, a student possessed by a former like student of a school who like died in the 50s. And she's like an she's like e- evil crazy ghost to like possesses somebody. <laughs> it's like a lot more fun. It's like it, it, I don't know. It just didn't feel like these guys had any respect for the genre or for their characters, and it just was like dumb. I was watching this gay character too, the gay best friend. I was like, this feels like homophobic to me. Like the shit he's saying is so dumb. I don't know. I, I, it bummed me out. Well, I think I mean I think that that. When straight guys write, when straight writers come in and write for like gay characters, they go to those 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 cliches. They don't actually. That's yeah. why you need. That's why we need other people to like have a a, a finger on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, yeah. I I hundred percent agree. Be- or just to have respect for the characters. Like that's the thing. Like. That's I agree sorry. With that. I'm saying the same thing over and over, but anyway, I, I just recently watched it, so that's why I'm thinking about it. I'm with you. I think you're 100 percent right. <laughs> sorry, this is about this is. I feel like we talked about movies for 40 minutes and talked about the comic for 10 minutes. That's okay. It's a short. Um, yeah, but I mean, great I comic. Like, Loved the comic. I would say I like Christopher Landon's Happy Death Day. That's what I do like. The director. Yeah. Yeah, I freaky, did like Happy freaky Day. fell short but bringing it back freaky falling short I don't think this short story fell short for a short story that's right <laughs> and um, yeah. is there any favorite moments or panels that you want to quickly point out not quickly but um, point out that you want to just highlight from this story yeah I think I mean really that entire page specifically that panel of like broom being crouched over with the darkness encroaching on him, like you know getting like shrinking shrinking this area of light around him. I thought it was really great. Super effective. Awesome. I love that. Um, I particularly also like, I like the out exteriors that I already mentioned with the use of light. I think those are really cool. I really like the panel of the close up of the, one of the column, the statues on the column, because it's, it's a panel that feels Mignola, but it's done by Patrick Reynolds in a sense of him not imitating um, Mignola, but it's something we recognize from Mignola's world, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. And then I particularly love the work on the actual painting. I just think the aging, the aging with the colors and the and the and the and the, uh, the lines. 
I love it. And I love... Yeah, there's a great texture of, like, it kind of, like, sort of chipping away, but it's still there. And it looks like this fun, cheap... Like, I think there's other stories or writers that would have chosen to do, like, a portrait, like a classic Dorian of Grey portrait of some sense. Yeah. This feels very... I like that it feels incomplete. Some of the lines on the painting itself don't feel like the artist got to complete the piece before they fucking died or went it's insane. It's just cool, too, of like, <laughs> yeah, the, the priest to be looking directly at you, this like leering creature looming over him is just so fun. I, I don't know. It's great. It's great. Yeah. And I just think it's bold for Mignola and Dai's art to be like, we're not going to show it. We showed you this yeah, painting. Because that's, that's not what it's about. Get. It's like about the feeling. Like, I think that they yeah. really captured the feeling. Like, the hand emerging from the darkness is like kind of the most you get. And that's like, you know, when you're lying in bed at night looking at the corners of your room, being like, oh, there's a guy there, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, having like, what is it like? Uh, night terror vision guys like shadow people that fucking show up that a lot of people talk about it's that kind of feeling that like spooky feeling of something's right there i think i see a figure i think they they do it so well in like a you know how long is this 14 pages it's like nothing and they they get it yeah. so they get it so well love it it's eight pages by the way whoops oh it says <laughs> it's saying 14 on my uh omnibus oh so that's it. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a great um, use. Just my final thoughts on this are it's like it feels like an, an origin done where it's like you're not throwing the origin like you're not throwing everything at me. Like we're watching him at school and seeing oh, yeah. how he learned. Th- it's just like yeah. but I'm like, oh, this is like as I already stated, it's like really watching Broom's curiosity take him where we know yeah. will fuel the rest of his adventures that we've we've somewhat seen and also how Hellboy became him. Like, of yeah. course this is his dad. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. So Good great job, stuff. You guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. You guys well done. <laughs> I have one. I want to just, is there anything you want to just suggest to read, watch or see based on this read? I have one that it's a full on plug. Hello, Mary Lou prom night too. Uh, All right. Go read. I mean, read that source material, the um, Canon Alberic scrapbook. I thought it was really cool, and, and I haven't read, like, a ghost story from that time period, I don't think, ever. I guess, like, some, you know, like, Poe or some shit, but right, not, like, a ton. Great. So, yeah, it was I'll cool. read it. I'll it's, read it. It's cool, and it's really short. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. That's a great suggestion. This is a broad suggestion. I would say check out Evil Dead again, because it yeah. just feels sort of like that feeling of, like, Evil Dead couple of like you know it follows of course check it out again (laughs) these all seem to be in that realm but the one thing i want to full-on plug is if you haven't seen it because it's all about demons and there's a demon in this but it also stars your host me in this short film go onto youtube google zoom cloud hack and then you'll see one called the tribe murders it's a little zoom horror movie that i did over the pandemic but yeah zoom cloud hack the Tribe Murders. Check it out on YouTube. It's on Scream uh, Fest. Um, it's just a fun watch. We filmed it over pandemic safely. Um, but, you know, you get to watch your host, you know, possibly get eaten by a <laughs> Hell yeah. You'll have to watch and see. But uh, And then you can tell me what if you thought I did okay at it. <laughs> I think you did. So enjoy that. I was That's watching your reel. It was making me laugh so much, dude. Oh, uh, thanks. It was really great. It's fun to do that stuff. 
Hell yeah. Well, that's it. Check that out. But we want to hear your thoughts on this storyline, folks. All you listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this short story and what shall I find there. Any of your input or takeaways from the short story, you can share those with us and we can share them on the show at Podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Podcast, Twitter, Hellboy. Just remember, though, if you want your thoughts on the show, you do need to email us. But if you do comment on anything on those um, outlets, we'll do our best to always reply and respond. But if you want your thoughts here, email us. Or you can also please go on to whatever platform you're listening to, rate and review us, bring more listeners to the show. If you go out of your way to go on to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate and review us with a five-star review that starts with the word BOOM, B-O-O-M. We call that a boom review. Give us a boom review and we will read your review right here on the show and give you a big old shout out and share and just give you all the love. Yeah. Give you all the love. Yeah. So please give us a boom review. <laughs> but that is it. I'm very excited um, that this is sort of like the in the, the collection of the Omnibus. This is sort of the prologue um, to the broom, BP, the early BPRD storylines. But next week, we're going to be tackling 1947. So more Joshua Dysart. I'm so excited, dude. Yeah, me too. Hell yeah. I'm ready. That's it. We'll see you next week, everybody, yeah. to cover that storyline of BPRD 1947. Thank you again for listening. <laughs> and remember... We love you. Sure fucking do. Imagine a podcast. Now, imagine a musical. Now, imagine the two of them made one million babies. Well, you don't have to imagine it, because it's real, and it has a name. One Million Musicals. Each month, we bring you a brand new, original podcast musical featuring talent from across Broadway, films, and TV. You'll hear tales of spooky ghosts, Wild West shootouts, adventures on the high seas, and much, much more. One million musicals. Only a few hundred thousand to go. A Campfire Media Podcast. Campfire.